this is Monica Reeds. I'm Georgina Godwin. Today, I'm speaking to the editor and art director of the independent literary magazine, Friends on the Shelf. Inspired by the belief that we all take pleasure in hearing about each other's lives, the magazine aims to showcase true stories from ordinary voices. And so far, they've published nearly 200 stories from over 100 writers. Rachel Swan and Vic Fullett. Welcome to Monocle Reads. Thank you very Thank you. much. Thank you. Now, Rachel, you and I have known each other for a long, a yes. long time, but you have such an interesting background, starting with your name, Swan. Tell us more. Well, I worked for many years as an agent for comedy writers, before that for comedians. My father was Donald Swan from Flanders and Swan, which is where the Swan name comes from. But I don't normally talk about that particularly. And uh, since I had children, I stopped working full time and looked after the kids for a while. And then time moved on and I found myself in my 60s, children grown up and uh, felt like a new challenge. And rather marvellously, Vic my friend and the art director of Friends on the Shelf now, came to me and said, why don't we do a project together? And I said, oh, yes, and got very excited and started to think about something that would combine our skills. Myself in sort of writing, knowing different people and liking working with new writers. And Vic in her design skills, which she'll talk about. And so we came up with the idea of a magazine. I think it was a bit dismayed at first, thinking that's rather a huge project. But actually, it's proved to be really interesting. It's something we've been doing now since 2020. And we find it's just given us a sort of new lease of life. It's like a new era in our lives. And far from sort of tending the garden or... I don't know what you do when your kids are grown up normally and sit at home. We've got sort of like a new venture, meeting new people, and we're very proud of all the issues we've done. We've done eight now. Well, seven, sorry. Eight is coming up next. So, Vic, tell us about your background. Well, I left art school, St Martin's School of Art, in 1985, and then I went to work for a wonderful woman called Chrissy Charlton and Company. And then I worked for her for three years and then moved on to other design groups, worked at Lambinan and uh, Robinson Lambinan. They did a lot of work for TVI Dents and that sort of thing. And then freelanced, had children, and then went back to Chrissy Charlton with a new venture, which was a design and letterpress printing company. And we had old printing presses and types, cases of type, metal type. Oh, how wonderful. And we had a workshop in Tufnell Park, and we did one-day workshops. People came to learn how to set type and letterpress print. We did a lot of invitations and wedding invitations and correspondence cards and old-fashioned things like that, but with a sort of modern twist. And then just before lockdown, we the rents were going up, inevitably, And we just weren't making the money to cover the rent, let alone pay ourselves any money. So we decided to call it a day after 15 years. And then I was at a bit of a loose end. And I think that's when I said to Rachel, let's collaborate on something together. I don't know what it is, but let's collaborate because I love collaborating with people. 
you get so much more out of somebody else's perspective. Mm. And really, this is what this project is about. It's about bringing together all of these people, isn't it? It is. Yes, exactly. Was there any one particular work that sparked this for you? Well, what what really inspired us was that we both love the stories that people tell in conversation to each other, particularly when it's a close group of friends and people really talk about themselves. And often it's something you would never have imagined had happened to them. And so we wanted to, we thought these were so interesting and we also believe that they can come from anybody. They don't have to be somebody famous. They don't have to be an established writer. Everyone's got a story to tell. And so we decided we thought it could be great to put these together and see if they could be enjoyed by a wider audience. And that's what we did. And so at the beginning, we didn't realise if we had a product yet. So we, we got about 300 people to give us £10 each. And so we could try it, sell it to them and to their friends and see what they thought of it. And luckily, we got a very good reception. So we've carried on since then. And the book, Can Any Mother Help Me, of course, yes, was a big part of it. Absolutely. I think that's um, what you were driving at when you oh, said, yes. some, was there something that inspired us? We'd already gone quite a way down the road of what we thought this, we wanted this magazine to be in terms of the funny conversations that people tell each other. And then Rachel discovered, and I can't exactly remember, was it recommended to you, but this wonderful book by a woman called Jenna Bailey, Can Any Mother Help Me? And it was an academic piece originally. She went to the Sussex Library of... The Mass Observation The Mass Observation Project. And discovered these old pieces of magazine... And this was... Well, Rachel, describe it because... Yeah, what, what happened was, back in the, a long time ago, there was a magazine called Nursery World and all mothers who had children got Nursery World and one mother wrote to Nursery World saying, can any mother help me? Because she was so lonely and isolated but clearly an educated woman and just lacked stimulus and so on. So she amazingly, all these women wrote to her and said, we're the same. Anyway, these women started to correspond with each other and they set up a magazine, a secret magazine, called the Cooperative Correspondence Club, the CCC. And they all wrote under pseudonyms because they didn't want their husbands to find out. And also, (laughs) they didn't want people to know who they were. And as a result of that, they wrote so honestly about their lives. It's one of the most moving, interesting, lovely books because you just get to know these women through their various letters. They've been beautifully compiled, so they make a great read. And they carried on writing to each other for about 40 years. They started before the Second World War. Yes, And then they describe what it's like bringing up children during the Second World War and their husbands are away. And then they carry on until the 1970s when they all start to drop off the perch one by one. Yes. It's it's amazing. They didn't... I mean, I think they eventually started to meet each other, but mostly they wrote on each other's pieces. They would write, oh, how awful for you, I've done this. So it was very much that they were able to start a community, really, with this magazine. It was a conversation. It was a conversation. Yes. And we were incredibly inspired, and we thought what we loved about it was that it was just such an insight into the times when we read this book. And we thought, imagine if we did that now, and we got all these stories, and people came across that in a few years' time. They might look at that and go, God, that's so that's what people were doing and thinking and saying in 2020, 21, 22, 23. Especially with COVID, sorry to interrupt but um, 
because this ma- the issue one uh, we've started working on it before COVID. So issue one has a couple of COVID stories, maybe one touches upon it. I think it's just the one at the beginning. Just the, the one at the beginning. Yeah. And then issue two, this is starting to become a big part of people's lives by November mm. 2020, when the second issue came out. Mm. And it is a reflection of what's going on at the time and a social history mm. in some ways. So these are all absolutely true stories? Absolutely true stories. Yes. Completely, honestly true stories. From ordinary people? And, From and you, ordinary people. You call it friends on the shelf because they are all your friends? Well, we started off with our friends and acquaintances, and luckily we do know people who have done some writing before. When we say ordinary people, they're just people. That's You don't have to qualify to be in Friends on the Shelf, except to have a good story. Some of the people are quite well known, so that's just sort of come about, partly because we knew a couple of people already, but partly because as the magazine got read, people would say, oh, I've got a story and send it in. So that way, the pool of writers has expanded. We once used this metaphor of throwing a stone in a, in a pond and the ripples going out from the stone. And that's how we like to think of the pool of writers expanding. So we've got some people from Australia now, can't remember quite how they came, but it's all through people knowing other people. So mm. that's how. Now, let's talk about the look of it, because it does look absolutely stunning. And I love the look of it. And particularly, you've just uh, given me a, an entire set of them. And when you put them all together, the spines, just describe <laughs> that for us. Well, slightly accidentally. So the spines all have a letter on them, one letter. And we started off with F for Friends on the Shelf. And then I can't exactly remember how we came to O. It might have been a mistake, but having done the O on the second edition, we had to think carefully about what this was going to say. And then we thought that we would do folk chat, which crossed eight issues, F-O-L-K-C-H-A-T, because that sort of embodied what this was about in a subtle, under-the-radar kind of a way, mm. that it was folk coming together to chat about things. Now, each each issue also, the, the spine is a different colour, but I want to talk about the drawings now, because every correspondent, every author, yes. uh, you have illustrated. Yes, exactly. Now, this was because we wanted to show that these stories were written by real people, but we didn't want to use their photograph. We also, for the first issue and subsequent issues, have given people the the choice to write under a pseudonym, if they like, which was inspired by Can Any Mother Help Me? And so that they could write more honestly, possibly, or if they were a bit shy, they might want to write a story without saying what their actual name was. And by having a drawing of them as well, it just gave them a little bit of anonymity. Mm. And we have an old, old friend who's a fantastic illustrator. She does a lot of children's book illustrators. And we asked her to do the pen portraits. So every contributor sends in a mugshot, head and shoulders mugshot. And our lovely friend Anne Kronheimer does a pen portrait from those mugshots. I think they're, they're very beautifully done, aren't they? They are. Rachel, then, as the, as the mm. editor, and you're editing people who aren't necessarily mm. writers, mm. is that quite a challenge? Well, actually, it's really interesting. What we do is, I discovered, I mean, neither of us had run a magazine before, but we discovered that people do expect to be edited. However, 
sometimes a story will come in and it'll be you can tell that there's this wonderful point being made, but it isn't perhaps being made very clearly or needs bringing out. So we work with all the writers. We give our suggestions. We always say, it's your story. So I don't know if you agree, but this is what we see in it or we think could work. And sometimes they rework them a little bit. And in the end, we always give it to them and make sure they're happy with it. And I must say, we find this a very enjoyable process. And some of the writers have said the same. They enjoy it too. It's wonderful to be able to sort of get involved with their stories, if you like, editorially, and then see them coming on the page. And then Vic takes them and often puts a little illustration by them. Anyway, so it's a very satisfying process, I find, and mm. I hope the writers do too. I mean, I guess in a way what you're really doing is democratising who's heard in publishing. That's exactly the idea. I mean, what we used to say, one phrase we used to say is that on our pages, somebody who's never, well, put pen to paper before, perhaps since they were at school or something, can be right next to somebody who's written a lot. But it doesn't matter. They've all got a story and it's the stories that count rather than who the person is who happened to say that story. Mm. I wonder, though, how you structure each issue. Are there different themes? No, we decided not to have themes. It's something that we've talked about. But we really like the mix of stories, like a mix of conversation in different places. It's weird, actually, because I, I always put all the stories out in a big row and I imagine if someone's reading, I think, God, what would it feel like if you just read a really intense story about someone who was caught up in a terrorist attack, which is actually what somebody gave us a story of, of that in issue four about being in the London Bridge attacks and you think how would I feel if I just read that I might not want to read something absolutely hilarious about something completely different so always try to put it imagine that a person's reading and imagine how they would be experiencing the pieces as they go along but one of the things that people say they like about Friends on the Shelf is that you don't know what you're going to get next so you can dip in so say you might feel like something more light you could just flick through and go oh fancy reading that that looks like fun and then put it down and then another time you might feel you're ready to read something else I don't know just however you feel and you can tell from the stories what sort of stories they're going to be mm. I mean you write in the introduction of the latest issue number seven that humour is a key part of the yes. magazine uh, but you also do cover much more serious issues Ukraine for instance yes exactly mm. when we started we imagined that they'd be quite light funny stories mostly and then to our amazement we did get light and funny stories stuff that made us cry with laughter so we were absolutely delighted that's what we wanted but we also got deeper stories and sometimes the lighter ones had a really deep side that we didn't expect and so we found that that's really important because this is the stories that people are giving us and this is what's actually happening when we started there wasn't a pandemic when we were planning it now there's been a pandemic there's been a war our assistant editor is Ukrainian and has personal experience of, of this war from where her family come from. So, And this is what's going on. Mm. So these are the stories mm. we get. And it's actually far from being... I mean, I suppose it's changed the flavour of Friends on the Shelf as, I, as we'd imagined it. But nonetheless, this flavour is... It's really good and I think it deepens it and I think it makes it even more worthwhile, to be honest. Mm. So, I mean, it really is, it's a very valuable documenting of social history. It is. Yes. It, it, exactly. That's exactly what we've come to feel about it mm. because we don't go looking for stories as such. 
the stories come to us. I mean, sometimes we say to somebody, in fact, whenever I, I've been to a wedding this week and I was sitting next to a chap and he, I just could tell that he would have a great story to tell. So I gave him a card and said, I'm sure you've got a brilliant story. And he said, I'd love to write something. So I'm always on the lookout for people who mm. I think have probably got something good to say. The other thing I, I was going to chime in is saying we're very aware that we started in North London and we don't want it to be just a bunch of North Londoners writing about their own lives. We really want to widen it out and find... So, for example, strange things happen. Like, we both share a computer guy. His name is Pablo. And uh, he's just a very interesting character. So I said to him one day, I bet you've got a couple of stories, Pablo. Well, he wrote us a story. It's in issue five. And it's about his grandfather, he's half Spanish, and he discovered that his grandfather, who he'd known as a child, as this quiet, kindly man, was actually fighting for the fascists and had murdered people, specifically murdered people, in the hometown where he came from. Now, who knew? And he wrote it. I mean, we helped him write it. He's not a writer himself. He comes from a family of writers, though. So we were able to work with him on that story and that was an incredible story and um, this is the sort of thing that we discover just by chance meeting and again through people who then write their people people they talk to say that chimes with a story I might have or gosh I could write about this and that's how it goes on I mean mm. it's like being at a really fascinating dinner party isn't it? <laughs> yes! <laughs> had a lovely quote from Much Ado Books, yes. who are based in Alfriston, who said exactly the same. And we've used that quote, actually, because yes. it's so sweet. They, they, it is. It's like being at a dinner party where people... Um, sit around and tell... Sit around, or you're on a train journey and you've got time to talk. Or yes. we used to share a hairdresser, <laughs> yes. Kathy, and we'd go there and while you're having your highlights done, which seemed to take all afternoon, you would swap funny stories. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that's the influence for this magazine. And they wouldn't always be funny. They wouldn't always be to make yeah, anybody they laugh. They'd, some, they'd be real stories about how you felt about things. And sometimes the other people in the salon would go, oh, yes, I know. And then they'd talk about <laughs> something. And we would just have the most marvellous afternoon. <laughs> yes. And those are the kind of... It was that feeling, those interesting stories. We didn't feel we could read them anywhere else mm. and then we found can any mother help me it was like those are the sort of stories but back in the day we could have them from all sorts of people don't have to be mothers men young people yes <laughs> all sorts of people oh. all sorts of people and, and global. anybody and global and yes. global so so let's talk about a specific issue let's talk about number seven which is Thank which you. is the the last one to come out now our mutual friend kate st john has written in in, in this yes. one but as have many more T tell us about this issue well I mean, I Thank like you. to think it's got a great mixture of all the things that we love to have in Fox. We have a very famous person in Harry Enfield who writes about how he adopted a pet duckling when he was a student and he rescued it from the dead. And it's a great, absolutely charming story. And we never knew that Harry had done a thing like that. We've also got, on a completely different subject, we've got a woman in, who lives in Ukraine now and is a health and safety officer, writing about her life and just hearing about what she did, where she went to university, which was in Russia, and so on, you just can understand a lot about the history of Ukraine and why it's such a terrible war, particularly for, well, I mean, it just tells you a lot, a lot of things I didn't know. 
We've also got some very funny stories indeed, including one about someone in hospital who had a life-threatening accident and um, apparently he could taste his own brain fluid. <laughs> yes, I know, absolutely horrible. And, and he was in traction and he was there for months. And this wasn't really as bad as having to put up with the two men in the ward with him. They just drove him round the bend and it is very, very funny. Excellent. Um, I'd like to mention Cloud Downey. Oh, yes. Cloud Downey, actor and theatre director, who must be in his 70s, I think. Yes. Possibly late 70s. He's written for us several times and he writes so movingly about his life. And this one we have is called In Memoriam and it's about a relationship he had with a lovely man who eventually passed away and about caring for him and their mm. life together. Mm. And he's written some absolutely fantastic stories for us and we're so pleased that he lets us have them. Mm. That's yes. the thing. So tell me then about the logistics of... Uh, you've talked about launching it and, and how that came about, but the logistics of, of running what essentially is a small publication. It's a bi- mm. biannual? Yes. And where, where does it sell? <laughs> right, well... Yes, it's twice a year because that's the, each issue is 96 pages, so it's a, a lot of stories, about 25 in each one. We couldn't possibly do more than that. That gives us time to get it together. We do it on Vic's computer. Vic has a long background in design, so has all the software. So Vic does it on her computer. We run it from our houses. We run it through our mailing list and have subscribers from issue three, we began to uh, we had the confidence to start saying to people, "You can subscribe." Before that, we used to just sort of sell them one by one, and uh, so we're slowly building up. I mean, it's very slow. It's very small. It's really less a business at this stage, and more how do we describe it? A venture with a common purpose, which we would like to grow. We're very committed to it and love doing it, and. Um, we want to carry on and get more and more subscribers so that we can eventually start to pay our writers, who very kindly at the moment work for nothing, and perhaps pay ourselves a little bit and some of the people who help us. But at the moment, we find we can make it work like this. We also have quite a few independent bookshops yes. that stock it. Sometimes bookshops find it difficult to find space and they often only take a few so they can get mm. lost in the, in the plethora of books. Mm. But we have one at the Golden Hair Books in Edinburgh. We're in Mag Culture. Mag Culture in London. Several magma. If people would either like to write for you. Yes. And you would encourage that? Yes. Absolutely. Anybody with a story should Absolutely. send it to you? We would. We just want to stress we can't publish everything we receive, <laughs> but we'd love to receive stories and we have taken in quite a few from people who we didn't know who just sent them in. So, yeah. yes, True please. stories, though. True stories. True stories written from the first person. In the first person, yes. So if people want to do that, or indeed if they want to subscribe, how do they get more information? They should go, go to our website. Go to our website. Friendsontheshelf.co.uk. That's right. And all the information is there. And we do highly recommend that they read a copy of Friends on the Shelf to get a feel for the tone of the pieces that we include. And a sense. And there's all the information on the website about the writing guidelines, numbers of words and that sort of thing. Well, I think you've done no. a marvellous thing. Thank you oh, so thank much. You. 
It's Thank a, you. It's such fun to read oh. and so so very diverse. And Thank I'm you. quite tempted to send you a story myself. Oh, oh please, please do. do. <laughs> please, please do. Rachel Swan and Vic Fullick of the independent literary magazine Friends on the Shelf, which publishes biannually. Issue number seven is available now to purchase through their website or at some independent bookshops. Issue eight will come out in October. <laughs> You've been listening to Monocle Reads, thanks to our producer, Nora Hull. And you can download this show and previous episodes from our website or from your preferred podcast platform. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening. <laughs>